Holy God and Heavenly Father, you've promised that your word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So your sermon text is on the back of your bulletin, along with the outline. And uh, this is from John 17. The verses you have that comprise the gospel reading are the closing verses of chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. And let me just give you the setting here. Chapter 17, and the entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus. It's called sometimes the high priestly prayer of Christ. This is the night before he's crucified, and he's praying to God the Father. In verses 1 through 5, he's praying for himself. In verses 6 through 19, he's praying for his disciples, the apostles, whom he will send out into the world to continue his work. And in verses 20 through 26, the end of chapter 17, he is praying for you and for me. But what is Jesus praying for? What's his request? Well, take a look at verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, Father, meaning for these 11, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's you and me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the prayer is for oneness, it's for unity within the body of Christ. That's the request. And Roman numeral one in your outline, we don't appreciate unity or harmony, or friendship, until it's gone. Very often that's the case. We don't really appreciate it until we no longer have it. I was uh, friends with an individual. Uh, This is a friendship that came to an end for a number of years. And we encouraged one another, we agreed on many things, we spoke well of one another, Uh, we had each other's back, there was a great deal of trust, camaraderie, but then the relationship ended. And I, I like to think it wasn't because I wanted it to end, though in fairness to the other person, I would have to say that individual would probably disagree with me. But it was not my desire for it to end at all. And there came a time, and and the Lord presents us with these opportunities where uh, I heard about this individual having some health issues, and so I thought, you know, God, God wants reconciliation. That's why Jesus came, to reconcile us to God and to one another. I thought this is an opportunity to to send a card, a get well card, and and I I wrote in there, I'm I'm praying for you, and um, just want to wish you well. 
Well, I put it in the mail, and a few days later, I got a slightly larger envelope back. It was addressed to Armstrong, and then it gave the address. The address was incorrect, but it still got to my house. I opened it up, and it was the card returned to me unopened. Now, I have to tell you, when that relationship began, I could never have imagined, it never occurred to me that it would end like that, you see. And I think whenever we begin a relationship with someone else, we don't think about the end of that relationship. We don't imagine what that would be like or why it would come to an end at all. It, it just absolutely does not occur to us. But, but I maintain that only when a friendship is over do we begin to realize how important it was. It's, it's the absence of unity that makes us appreciate the unity when we have it. You know, relationships may end not because of any sin, but just because of a misunderstanding. Or a relationship can end uh, because of misunderstanding, and maybe there's some offense added to it, some sort of sin. Or relationships can come to an end not because of misunderstanding, but because of offense is given or taken. And notice, in two out of three of those scenarios, there's sin involved. You and I know, we experience it. Sin divides. Sin separates us, not only from God, but from one another in everyday life. And if you've lost a relationship, if you've gone through that kind of an experience, then you begin to see how important Christ's prayer for unity is, how much it matters, how practical that prayer really is. Roman numeral number two, unity. Unity in the scriptures is always the work of God. It's not the work of man. It's the work of God, not man. For example, point A, Jesus must pray for unity. Now, if he needs to pray for it, that means God alone gives it. It must be given by God, this oneness, this harmony. All of our universities in the Missouri Synod, our seminaries are called Concordia. It's a Latin word for harmony, getting along, walking together, you see. It's a gift from God, the unity that we have. Point B, God is one by nature. He is naturally one. I cite Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Hebrew word there is echad. And it's the same word, that word echad in the Hebrew is used all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 to describe the oneness of marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall be echad, one flesh. You see, marriage is a oneness of two persons. It's a two-person oneness. The Holy Trinity, the one true and living God, is a oneness of three persons. It's a three-person oneness. The church, the body of Christ, is a multi-personed oneness. That's the meaning of oneness. Very often, that's the meaning of Scripture. 
So God is one by nature. Point C, you and I are one by grace. We're one by grace through the word of the apostles. It's the words of the New Testament. And we would include the prophets in the Old Testament as well. It's, it's through their testimony that we become one. And if, if we are made one through the word of the apostles, then it stands to reason that we maintain our unity, this oneness, by remaining in the word of the apostles. My friends, the cause of division in the church, the cause of every division, is simply this. Men depart from the clear teaching of Scripture. That's the cause of all division in the church, departing from the Word of God. That caused humanity to depart from God way back in Genesis 3. Now the, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say you may not eat from every tree of the garden? Did he really say that? You see, the tempter tempted Eve to doubt what God had said, to depart from the word of God. Departing from God's word is the original sin of humanity, and it's the source of all division in the church. Now, there's different numbers on this. Um, some some figures say there are 33,000 different Christian denominations around the world. Another figure that I come across is 41,000 different Christian denominations around the world. Whether it's 33,000 or 41,000, it just depends on how you divide them up. But there's tens of thousands of different Christian church bodies around the world. And when we hear that, it's it sort of in our minds at least, it makes a mockery out of the prayer of Jesus in our gospel reading for today, that we might all be one. But the oneness Jesus prays for is above all else a spiritual oneness. It's not necessarily an organizational oneness, but a spiritual oneness. The true church of God in the world is all believers in Jesus Christ. All who believe they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They comprise, we comprise the church. Roman numeral number three. Unity, therefore, is an article of faith, not of sight. It's an article of faith, not of sight. I cite 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where St. Paul says, we walk by faith, not by what our eyes see, but faith in the unseen. And so I cite in part A, this is just taken from the Nicene Creed that we recited a few moments ago, we believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We believe in it, even though we can't necessarily see it with our eyes. I can't look into your heart and see faith. In that sense, the church is invisible. I can't tell when people drive up and down Central Avenue who's a believer and who's not. It's hidden from my eyes, but I believe the church exists. All believers in Christ throughout history. And notice, we believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. The church may not always look holy. 
You and I may not always look holy, but we believe in our holiness, that we've been made holy by the blood of the Lamb. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. You and I may not always act like Christians. The church may not always act in a Christian way, but we believe that we are Christians because we trust in the Christ who came from the Father. And we believe in one holy Christian, an apostolic church. The church may not always sound apostolic, but as long as we proclaim that saving truth by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, that is the faith of the apostles, and we are the heirs of that heritage. Part B, all religion is local. It's local. You know, there's a saying in, uh, in politics, all politics is local. What it means is simply this. There are national issues. You hear about those on the news all the time. But the way you vote is determined by this, how those national issues affect you where you live. That's how you vote. All politics is local in that sense. For example, um, you may be for more oil drilling, but not next to your house, okay? You see, that may be a national issue, but when it hits home, that's how you vote. All politics is local, and I would say all religion is local in this sense. When you become a Christian, you don't say to yourself, well, now I'm part of this large 2.4 billion population around the globe. I'm part of this 41,000 uh, uh, denominational reality. You don't think that way when you become a Christian. That's not how it works. When you become a Christian, it's because you come in contact with a local group of people whose values and beliefs you now share. You perceive that in that group, there is a unity, there's a coherence there, and you choose to be a part of that. In other words, you don't experience this oneness on a global level. You experience, you always experience it on the local level with a group of like-minded people. You join them. You become one with them. And that's the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for unity. It comes to fulfillment one person at a time at the congregational level. That's when each person becomes a member of a local congregation. And even though they may not realize it, they also become a member of the great Una Sancta, the one spiritual holy communion of believers around the globe. That's how our Lord grants unity. That's how he gifts it. Now, how do we maintain that unity? How do we keep it? I love to hear stories of heroism. All of us need heroes. And um, I remember being at uh, the Wright-Patterson Air Museum and listening to stories about Medal of Honor winners. And you can go on YouTube, you can go on the internet and, and hear their stories. And they're, they're so inspiring. And I can recall um, hearing the story of Staff Sergeant, it's Army Staff Sergeant Salvatore Ginta, 
Salgento. He uh, is a Medal of Honor recipient from his service in Afghanistan. And he was being interviewed by David Letterman several years ago. And Letterman asked him this question. He said, how do you do this? What switch do you flip inside of you? What lever do you pull to act in such a heroic manner? And this is what he said. It's not me, it's my training. Whatever we do in the military, we do not do for ourselves. What you do, you do for the person to your right and the person to your left. And as long as you have them on your right and on your left, you won't fail them because they won't fail you. And whatever happens to any one of us happens to all of us because we're all in this together. And the audience just erupted in applause. And my friends, it's that kind of selflessness that characterizes not only our military, but it also characterizes the church militant on earth. We preserve our unity, not by fantasizing about what we might do for somebody halfway around the world whom we've never met. We preserve our unity by thinking first and foremost of that person to our right and that person to our left. We preserve our unity by putting their needs ahead of our own. And we preserve our unity not by sacrificing the truth of God's word for the sake of convenience or personal gain. We preserve our unity by standing upon the truth of God's word because God's word alone, the word of the apostles alone, that is the source of our unity. And to abandon that is to abandon all hope of ever being one. My friends, for the sake of the world that is lost and dying apart from Jesus, we confess the saving truth of the gospel of Christ. We cannot compromise that for the world's sake as well as our own. For the sake of the world that is in need of forgiveness, we speak forgiveness to you who gather here every Lord's Day. We pronounce absolution. Many churches wouldn't think of doing that. They think, well, where do you get off doing that? Who gave you the authority to do that? I would answer Jesus. He said to his cold ministers, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. This is what he's given us to do. We can't compromise on that. For the sake of the world that needs assurance of forgiveness, we administer baptism, we administer the Lord's Supper, because these are God's own actions. This is what he's doing for us. And the promise of forgiveness is attached to these actions of God. To yield on these matters is to deny what Christ himself is doing in our midst. That would be of no help to the world. My friends, for the life of the world and for the sake of the world, we lovingly stand upon the word of the apostles. For that alone is the source of our unity. And it is unity for which our Lord prays. And it is unity that by his grace we will maintain. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus Christ.